Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning again, Bethesda Church. Thank you for your giving. I hope you're doing well. Everybody have a great Thanksgiving. Did you eat too much? I absolutely ate too much. I may run a couple laps to burn it off in just a minute. I'm excited about uh, our series, Dirty Money. We are concluding uh, the series today. This is week number three, the final message. I've enjoyed preaching and teaching um, this series to you because the truth is you can only make good decisions based on the quality of information you have. I tell my staff all the time, if you want me to make a decision, a good decision, you got to bring me good information. Uh, the same is true with finances. We can only make good financial decisions when we've been given good financial advice. And so I would encourage you to seek out what God says about finances um, and not just leave it to a three-week series, but find businessmen, businesswomen, people that are good with money, ask questions. How many know you got to get around some folk that know what they're talking about, some folk that have done well in this area and, and allow what's in them to rub off on you. Um, in this series, in week one, we talked about God's economy or God's system, that every kingdom has a form of taxation. Um, and God's system, his form is the tithe. We bring the tithe. Everybody say the tithe. The tithe is, is something that belongs to God. But when we bring the tithe, um, God has promised us that the tithe actually opens up access and gives us rights and privileges as citizens of the kingdom of God. We operate by a different system. And then last week, I believe, was a prophetic message, and I'm kind of, I didn't know that today's message was going to kind of jump on the back of it, but it does. But it was more of a prophetic message that increase is coming to this house, but increase is also coming to your house. I think we ought to take a praise break if you believe increase is coming to your house. Don't get religious on me, okay? Religious people don't like hearing that stuff. They, they think, oh, no, we're in, we're in, you know, scary waters if you talk like that. But we do serve a God of abundance. And so um, when we tithe, we understand that anything we give above the tithe becomes seed. Anything that you give above the tithe is seed that will be multiplied. God always, and he says some 30, some 60, some 100-fold return. He's, he just he put a little disclaimer on the 100-fold return, though, and he said if you get the 100, it's going to come with persecution. In other words, some people hate when you get blessed. Somebody say, haters going to hate. <laughs> come on, y'all. Some of y'all are blessed, and you can't hide the blessing. And you don't have to be ashamed of the blessing. Okay, you don't have to let, let religious people say Jesus didn't have anywhere to lay his head. If you read that, it ain't saying he didn't have anywhere to sleep. He was talking about his authority. He had nowhere to put his authority. He's the head, we are the body. I have nowhere to put my headship. Jesus not only had a place to sleep, he had 12 employees that he took care of. And a clerk. Don't get me started. That's not in the message. Um, today, I want to talk to you about the corporate blessing. 
the corporate blessing. Now, I hope at this point most of us um, understand why we take three or four weeks out of a year to talk about money. And it isn't that I have all the answers. I'm constantly learning and growing and asking questions. But at the same time, God has a lot to say about the issue of money. And the truth is there's probably not another message I could preach that impacts everyone kind of uh, the, the way money does. How many of this message is for 100% of the people here? It's for 100% of the people watching. Everybody needs money to survive. It, it affects all of us. Um, now, some of you may say that you're so holy that you don't need money, but we all know you're not that holy. You walk up in Walmart and fill two buggies up and go up there and say, I brought Jesus. They're going to say, put the stuff up. You better have some money. Jesus is not going to get you through that line. If you go out and eat after service and say, all I got is G, I brought G, and he's enough, they're going to say, I hope you got a credit card, a debit card, or some cash because you're going to need Jesus and some money, right? It affects, if you want your children to go to college, you can't just call them and say, I, I got Jesus. Okay, it's going to be tough. Nine o'clock was tough too, but it's going to get good. The truth is, no one likes driving a car that they don't know if it's going to get them there or not. Nobody likes telling their kids they can't afford school clothes. No one enjoys um, not having enough money to buy the groceries that they need. No one enjoys having their utilities cut off or a car repossessed. I've never had anybody say, Pastor, I'm just so excited. I'm filing bankruptcy. That doesn't happen. No, nobody's excited about those things. So I say that um, this message affects all of us, and it's going to take me a minute to get where I'm going, but we'll get there. Proverbs 23 and 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. One translation says, For as a man or woman thinks in his heart, so is he or she. Um, for as a man thinks, thinking is an action verb. It's, it's I'm actively doing something. For as a man thinks, that's an action verb, so is he. Is is a state of being verb. So my thinking translates to my is. Does that make sense? The, the thinking action creates my life. It creates my is. If I want to change my is, my state of being, I have to stop pointing. I have to stop blaming. I have to stop requiring somebody to come and fix my situation. If I want to change my is, it doesn't change with anything around me. How many of you understand? It changes with what's in me. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We got a, we got a generation of people that want everyone to fix it. We want to pass the buck. We want to place blame but, but the scripture teaches us that true change starts on the inside. Now, let's apply this principle to money uh, because it's important. The way you think about money is very important. And some people love money. How many of you understand that's problematic? There's a difference in using money and leveraging resources than loving money. 1 Timothy 6 and 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
for which some have, watch this, Paul said, some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. So money does good things, but money can also corrupt and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So let me say it like this. Money needs to be in your head more than it's in your heart. See, if I, if I can keep money in my head and not allow it to become the, the passion of my life, then I can do great things with money. Money can do great things. I, I, have, I have watched money do great things. Um, I have given tips before to a waiter or waitress that, calls, that the tip was more than the meal. And I have watched at times that when I've done that, I can see the waiter or waitress, they are moved because it has met a need that they didn't know how they were going to have that need met. And, I've, and the same anointing that I feel and sense when I'm preaching on a Sunday, I have experienced at a, on a Saturday night in a restaurant just because of the fact money can do great things. How many know that money can do great things? It, it can accomplish great things. But just like it can do great things, money can corrupt. And here's the truth about every part of your life. You can never go beyond what you've been taught. You can never go beyond. I don't, I don't care what field you're talking about, whether it's your relationship with Jesus, you can't go beyond what you've been taught. Um, whether it be edu- educational uh, system, you can't go beyond what you've been taught. When it comes to money, you can only go as far as you have been taught. So a couple of questions that are very important is, is what have you learned about money? Secondly, who taught you? Because some of us have been taught the wrong things. Some of us, it was no fault of our own, but we were taught about money from people who had none. Right? Now walk with me. I'm going to be very, very kind of, you know, open today and just be real about this. Um, Some of us need to drive through a neighborhood that isn't our own neighborhood to see how other people live. And I'm not just saying go through, like, terrible neighborhoods. I'm saying drive through some that you think, I could never live there, I could never afford it. You say, well, what's the point in that? Because you, you, I have learned that for me to walk in something, I must first be exposed to it. I, I can't walk in anything I've never been exposed to. I had never been exposed to church on this level until I got in my car and drove to another state other than West Virginia and saw church that was impacting a city, and I came back and realized we can do that in West Virginia, but I had to first be exposed to it. I had to see something beyond where I was. So drive through a neighborhood that you think, I could never live there. Now, some of you are going to be quick to say, I want to live there. Well, you got to understand that in that subdivision, you can't just run over the Kleenexes with your lawnmower and blow it all over your yard in that subdivision. Some of us, what we got now is such a wreck, God would never entrust it to us. Some of you are mad. Some people love money, but the Bible is clear, is that the love of money is the root of all kinds of, of evil. Now, let me say this. Be careful about making connections with people who love money. 
be careful about making connections. Because when they love money, all their intentions have a dollar bill attached to it. The bottom line of everything they do is about a dollar bill. Okay? They love money. It's a problem. Now, let me, let me make another disclaimer. Just because someone is good with money in their head and handle large amounts of money does not mean that their heart is corrupt. Because I grew up in church, and, and a lot of the church people, anybody who was wealthy, they judged and then wondered why they were broke. Man, I can tell we hitting something today. When we have services like this, when I leave, several people will stop and say, Pastor, you know when it's that quiet, it's hitting home. You, you, can't, you can't criticize something and then expect to walk into it. I, I know millionaires that are good with money and love Jesus, and money never got a hold of them. So it's not wrong to be blessed. It's not. Actually, we are supposed to be blessed to be a blessing so that we are supposed. you got to change the way you view this. you got to change the way you think about it. So some people love money, but there's another group of people who just don't have any respect for money. And so they have a spending mentality, a taking mentality. They're going to post their pictures on Instagram with $100 bills and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then two years later, they're broke. And it's not that they loved money. They had no respect for money. They had no regard for money. There was no value to them. And so I want you to write this down. Poverty has nothing to do with income. Poverty is a mindset. Poor is a mindset. Poverty is a mindset. Let me say it another way. Poor is a mindset. Broke is a season. I have been broke before, but I have never been poor. And, and, and see, if you have a prosperous mindset, I'll just tell the online crowd, if you have a prosperous mindset, you may be broke, but broke will never hold you down because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I may be broke in this season, but as long as I don't develop a poverty mentality, I will bounce back from a broke season. I'll bounce back because it's a mindset. Many of you have been broke before, but there's a difference in being broke and being poor. As a man think, I don't think broke. I don't think poor. I don't think poverty. So go with me to Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to tie two passages of Scripture together. Hit your neighbor and tell him this is going to be good. I've already been preaching, but it's going to get better. Malachi chapter 3, and then we're going to look at Joshua 7. I'm going to show you something I've never preached before. Uh, here we go, verse 6 of Malachi 3. It says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me even the, this whole nation. Very important. God says, the whole nation has robbed me. Now, the whole nation was not guilty of not tithing. But he said, the whole nation is guilty because some people are not doing it. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me 
Now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I'm just going to stop right there because I'm going to focus in on a couple of things. God says at the beginning of this passage, he says, from the days of your father, you have gone away from my ordinances or from my principles and you've not kept them. And what God is saying is, is that I've been trying, um, th- that this has been going on for a long time, and I can't get you guys to do what I'm asking you to do. I can't get you guys to obey, and this goes beyond you. It, this goes to previous generations. He's saying this has been a long-standing issue. And then he says, I want you to return to me, and I'll return to you. But you ask, how shall we return? And, and God, have you ever had your parents get so mad at you that they asked you a question and before you could answer the question, they answered it for you? Like, boy, where you been? I know where you been. You know, just jump right in. Like, what have you been doing? But I know what you've been doing. They don't even give you an opportunity to answer. With a curse, the whole nation. God doesn't curse people. I know some religious people will say, you know, God will put a curse on you. God is not cursing people. God blesses people. The curse comes as a result of disobedience. The curse came to them because they were disobedient, not because God enjoys putting curses on people. God is not in the cursing business. God is in the blessing business. Had he been in the cursing business, all of us would be burning in hell right now, but he sent his son to die in our place because God is a blessing God, not a cursing God. He said, but you're cursed because you have operated in disobedience. And so we're going to connect this scripture that we just read to Joshua chapter 7, but let me give you some context before we we read it. Israel has spent 450 years in Egypt under the whip of a taskmaster by the name of Pharaoh. 450 years as slaves. They come out of that, and then they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. So we're talking about... 490 years. Hit your neighbor and tell him that's a long time. Almost 500 years has gone by, and they have known nothing but slavery. But now they are coming into their promise in the book of Joshua. And God has promised to do some amazing things in their life. And they're starting to realize these promises through the conquering of these cities. And the first place that they conquered, um, in Bible times, it would be equivalent to what we would know as a New York City or a Los Angeles or a Chicago. They conquered a city by the name of Jericho. And it was a massive city. And God had attached so many promises to his people. He said, I'm going to give you, this is Deuteronomy, he said, I'm going to give you the power to create wealth. He said, I'm going to give you houses, plural, you didn't build, and vineyards you didn't plant. God is saying, I'm giving you all these blessings that are about to come on you. And he said, it starts with Jericho. 
But they conquered Jericho, and God wasn't done yet. And I just want to encourage some people that have experienced victory in the past, you need to know that whatever territory you have taken, that's not the best there is. God has more land for you, more for you to possess, more for you to accomplish. You have more untapped potential right now than you have experienced up until this point. If you believe you got more untapped potential, give God a praise if you believe that. He had more for them to do. And so they conquered Jericho, and now, like us, they, they got confident. They got, like, you can almost hear the guys probably told their wife, hey, we'll be back by lunchtime, because this, this second city they were going to conquer was a city by the name of Ai. And it's spelled Ai. Everybody say Ai. All right? It was insignificant. It was probably, you know, if you wanted an equivalent, would be like the town I grew up in, Chapmanville, West Virginia. Small, insignificant, not like Jericho at all. But they're completely confident, thinking if we have taken Jericho, we will easily take this small town of Ai. We, we can do this. And, and the Bible, though, tells us that the exact opposite happens. They go to battle against this insignificant place that doesn't amount to much, and they get their behinds worn out. They get beat up. And Joshua, the leader, is frustrated. He's very frustrated, and he's upset, and he's throwing a temper tantrum to God. And, and he's, it's almost like he's saying, God, I wish I had never asked for any of this. I wish we had stayed back where we were. Like, why did we even come into the promised land? He's, he asked God, he said, why have you brought us here? And then he says, what will you do for your great name? And, and I love this because what a negotiation tool. Joshua said, what will you do for your great name? We are not here, God, in our name. We are here in your name. We're out here in your name. Everybody knows we are the children of Jehovah, the children of God. We are under your name. God, when I go down, you go down. Now, how many know that's some strong negotiation right here? This is like, if we lose God, it looks bad not on us. It looks bad on you. Word's going to get out that you don't come through. Word's going to get out that even if you're with us, we're not guaranteed to win. And you got to understand that in any kingdom, there is value given with the king's name. It's why David in the Psalms would write over and over, for your name's sake. God, for your name's sake. And so Joshua is saying, we came in your name, Lord, and we lost. And you can read this temper tantrum in, in Joshua 7, starting in verse 6. The Bible says, Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall we say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Do you see what Joshua's doing? Like, this is your name that's on the line. And, and, and I love God because he'll, he'll give you an opportunity 
to speak. But when you get done, he's going to be like, are you done yet? Are you, are you sure you're finished? Because I got some things I want to say. And it shifts gears and it says in verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Quit whining, you baby. That's my translation. Quit your whining. Why are you laying on your face like that? Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. See, God had said, everything in Jericho belongs to me. It's marked off. It's like the tithe. Don't touch it. But somebody had the audacity to touch it. And God says, All, the whole nation has sinned. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. God says, neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed thing from among you, get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. And if you drop down to verse 25, it's when they find out who the culprit was. It says, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep. Somebody say everything. He took everything. Um, his tent, all that he had, and he brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? My translation is, why are you messing with our blessing? That's what Joshua's really asking. Why are, like, we are day one into being blessed and not slaves and coming into the promise, and you're already messing with our blessing. Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Now, I know that is a verse that we really don't want to read, especially on a Sunday morning. But I have a strong conviction as a pastor to preach to you. And it's not a conviction anybody's put on me. It's a conviction I carry to preach to you the whole Bible. Every part of it. I, I can't be afraid to skip it. I can't be afraid to talk about it. If it's in there, we want to talk about it from cover to cover. And that includes the subject of money. Um, I understand also that a lot of people, they don't want to hear from anyone whom they feel like they were handed everything. Um, we don't want to hear from people sometimes if we felt like they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth or any of those things. Uh, you just need to know, I started from very humble beginnings. And I won't bore you with the details, but very, very humble beginnings. My first job in ministry was for $300 a month. You do the math. 
I had a lot more month than money at that time. Um, but I come from humble beginnings, and I, and I tell you that because the principles that I've been teaching you for, the, for many years and specifically over the last three weeks are the same things that I have used, the same principles that I have used to create what you are sitting in and enjoying right now. These principles will unlock blessing in your life. And as a citizen of the kingdom of God, please understand God is your provider. If you're a citizen of his kingdom, he is your provider. He named himself Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. How many are thankful for all the times God has provided for you and your family? Take about five seconds right now and just give God a praise that he is always, we sang about his faithfulness just a minute ago. He has always been faithful. He has always provided. Now, some people come into the world thinking, might as well just do it, right? They come into the world thinking that somebody owes them something. And I, I'm going to say it as strong as I did as, at, in the first service. I'm going to stand here flat-footed on a Sunday morning and tell you right now, nobody owes you anything. Just settle it. Nobody. Nobody owes you anything. Um, you have a right to be here and to be on the earth, and you also have a right for God to provide for you. But no one owes you anything. The entitled spirit has to be broken. If we're going to experience the goodness of God, the entitled spirit has to be broken because God honors faith, God honors diligence, God honors those that steward what he has given them well, and one of the signs that shows God that you have faith is the ability to manage what he has already given you. The scripture tells us that if we manage what we've been given, God can trust us with more. We talked about the scripture where God says, I'll take from those who don't have a lot and I'll give it to the people who have an abundance simply because they manage it better. Hit your neighbor and say, manage it better. Manage it better. Now, we've got to walk this out for just a minute. Those who manage and steward well are given more. To whom much is given... Much is also required. And so God honors the fact that you and I use the principles he has given us. Jesus came to bring principles. He called them what? He called them keys. He said, I'm coming and I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. And as you utilize the keys, it unlocks certain blessings. In Malachi 3, the reason I read Malachi 3 and Joshua 7 is because in Malachi 3, God says, I'm going to pour out a blessing that would be bigger than your capacity to receive it. Everyone say corporate blessing. Wow, that was so weak. Everybody say corporate blessing. He said, I'm going to pour out a blessing that you don't have room enough to receive. And if I'm being real honest, I have never seen a blessing poured out that was so big I didn't have room for it. I've never seen that in my lifetime. A blessing poured out that was so big that I didn't have the capacity to receive it. I've never seen that. But he said, I'll pour it out and you won't even have room for it. 
And when it comes to blessing, you got to understand there's two kinds of blessing. There's the kind of blessing you have room for, and there's the kind of blessing you don't have room for. If you remember the widow woman in 2 Kings chapter 4, we won't go read it, but I'll just, you know, as a reminder, the prophet instructed the widow woman to borrow as many jars as she could find. And as she borrowed jars, the reason for, for this was that she had ran out of oil, right? There was no oil. Um, but as she borrowed the jars and provided the jars, as long as she had empty jars, the oil continued to flow. The oil lasted until she ran out of vessels. She, the, the oil lasted to where her faith stopped. The prophet challenged her, and, and she brought jars in accordance to her level of faith. There was no limit. She could have borrowed a million jars. And guess what? The oil would have flowed through a million jars. That She was providing something that God could bless. And the question that I have for you is, are you giving God anything to work with? Have you? Do you have the capacity to receive the kind of blessing that God wants to give to you? Malachi talks about, though, a different kind of blessing. He talks about a blessing that you don't have room enough for, kind of like in Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 5, after the disciples had fished all night long and had caught nothing, Jesus shows up and says, cast your nets again. I got something that's going to be bigger. I got something that you've never seen before. I got a blessing that you've never experienced in all the years that you've been in the fishing business. And they casted their nets reluctantly. And the Bible says the catch was so big that their nets began to break. And they had to call the other boats over so that the blessing they were receiving could pour out into the other boats. Which leads me to this truth. Don't ever curse someone that God is blessing because it may be their overflow that spills into your boat. Religious people make me mad. You get a little blessed, they judge you. You get a little prosperity, they judge you. And then they sit around and complain that they broke and miserable. Don't ever curse someone that God is pouring a blessing out on because it may be their boat that overflows into your lap. It may be their blessing that overflows into your life. The tithing covenant that we've been talking about, God attached a promise to it. And the promise is, I'll pour out blessing you don't have room enough to receive. How many would say today, you want to see that kind of blessing in your life? Give him a praise if you want to see that. I want to see that. But here's what I know about that. If God's going to pour me out a blessing that I don't have room enough to receive, it's going to have to be massive. I'm still fighting religious things. You, you can feel it. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, just be quiet, pastor. Sit down. Be content. That's great. But I'm tired of church people, and I, I'm already ahead of myself. I'm tired of the church being so in need that we can't meet the needs. He said, bring the whole tithe, but, but in the same text, he says that an entire nation, which was millions of people, God said, you're all thieves. But not everybody was stealing the tithe. But he lumped them all together and said, you've robbed me the whole nation. 
And we know that not everybody was robbing God because the Hebrews were religious about tithing. That's one thing they got right. Most of them had no problem tithing. They bragged about their ability to tithe on the smallest amounts. And for those of you that think God is not concerned about money, the Bible tells us in Mark 12 that Jesus went into church one day and he sat down where they received the tithe and offerings and he watched not how much people put in, he saw how much, but he wanted to see how they gave. Can you imagine Jesus walking up in the church and say, I just want to see what everybody's giving. I just want to see the attitude in which they get. And in the, same, in the same text, the Bible says he watched and he said, his conclusion was is that a widow woman who had give, given a widow's mite, let's just call it a penny, had given more than everybody else. Now we know in the synagogue they built temples, they, built, they rebuilt Jerusalem several times over. There was not a lack of resources or businessmen and women that gave, dropped thousands of dollars into those offering plates every time they gathered. But Jesus said, this woman who gave a penny has given more than everybody else. And you may be asking the question, how is that even possible? The way that's possible is that God doesn't deal with amounts, God deals with percentages. Let me break it down a little further. If I told everybody to give a hundred bucks, one thing, it's probably not fair. Can we all agree that may not be fair? Because the truth is, for one person, if they gave a hundred dollars, they would feel that all month. It would be a sacrifice. There, there would be something else that would have to go without. But for other people, for them to give just a hundred bucks would be disgraceful because it's so small of a percentage. God deals not with amounts. He deals with percentages. And God also wants to make sure that when we do give, that we give with the right attitude. And so he says in Malachi, the whole nation is cursed. And you got to walk with me with this because he says the whole nation is cursed. And in Joshua 7, he uses similar language. The whole nation is in trouble. I'm not going to be with you. You're going to lose to your enemies. You're not going to be able to defeat them. And the question then becomes, was the whole nation wrong? No. One man was wrong. Achan is the only one that did the wrong thing. Everybody else was obeying. Everybody else was doing what God had asked them to do. And, and Achan, I know that he probably thought it's just a Babylonian garment. It's just a little bit of silver and gold. In the big picture of things, nobody's ever really going to care. Nobody's ever really going to notice. It's not a big deal. In, in, our, in our circumstance, we'd say things like, well, I don't make a lot of money. It won't matter. You know, I made 100 bucks. My $10 tithe is not going to make a difference. It's kind of like that mentality. But did you know if your tithe is $10, it's just as holy as the person whose tithe is a million. It's just as holy. And it makes a difference. And so God didn't say, go get Achan. He has stolen. God says, Israel has sinned. They have some, he said, they have taken something 
they shouldn't have taken. They have touched the thing I have told them not to touch. And God keeps saying, they, 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 they. And God is like, I know who they is, but I'm not going to tell you who they is, Joshua. I want you to go and find them. And they conducted a strip search for the whole nation to find over a Babylonian garment and some silver and gold to find the person who had taken what God had marked off as his. Now, some of you are going to think, this seems a little harsh that they did this and they found this guy and he ended up dying and all that stuff. But you have to understand that the territories they were taken over, were it was filled with not only God's enemies, it was, it was idol worshipers. And God was saying, I don't want you to mix what is worldly with that which is holy. So I'm marking this off. I don't want you to mix it. And so God says in Malachi 3, when he looks at the tithe, the whole nation has robbed me. In Joshua 7, Achan takes something that belongs to God, and he says the whole nation has sinned. Now let's connect the dots. Who does the tithe belong to? It's God's. He's already marked it off as his. Whether you bring it or not, God says the first 10% is mine. Even if you don't bring it, God says I've marked it off. Jericho was a first fruits type of city. And God says everything in that city, it's the first one you're going to conquer. You're going to conquer many more, but in this first one, you're not taking anything. I have marked it off for myself. And so God calls the whole nation in Malachi 3 cursed. And then he, the whole nation in Joshua 7 is about to suffer. And you say, well, I, I, don't, I don't understand why that's the case. The reason that's the case is because God sees us as one. He does not see us as a bunch of individuals operating independently. He sees us as one. He is the head. We are the body. That's why the scripture says that we suffer with those who suffer. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. I need to remind us today that we are a holy nation, a new bloodline, a chosen generation, a peculiar people, that God sees us as one, and the blessing of the tithe is meant to unlock not just an individual blessing for you and your family, but it's meant to unlock a corporate blessing that if everyone operates in obedience with the tithe, God says, I will open up something, I will pour something out, it will release something that you don't have room enough to receive. It just hit me that this is not an individual thing. I've tithed my whole life. And I still have never seen a blessing, you know, so big I don't have room for. I've tithed my entire working life. But I believe that blessing that you don't have room enough to receive is when all of God's people choose to walk in obedience. And God dealt harshly with Achan because Achan after 500 years of slavery and God's about to give them houses they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant and the power to create wealth and to come into a land of milk and honey and all this wonderful stuff, God's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let one man rob the nation. So we're going to call time out and you're going to go deal with the one so we can unlock a corporate blessing on the nation. And this is tough 
because it is so, if you don't believe me, you, you need to walk with me for about a week. It is so hard to get the body of Christ in agreement on anything. If I say, give your God a praise, half of you will praise him. The other half will sit there with your hands in your pocket. Blocking a corporate blessing. I say, everybody, let's join together. Stretch your hands. Let's pray. This person has cancer. Half of you get up, stretch your hands, pray. And then some of you sit back there and think, well, my aunt died of cancer. Blocking the corporate blessing that could be released. We say it's time for tithes and offerings. And half the church is excited and understand. And the other half sit there like a knot on the law. Blocking a corporate blessing. What we fail to understand is, is what we fail to understand is that he has promised, God has promised to command a blessing where there is unity. I wonder how many times we're robbed of a corporate blessing because we cannot get 100% participation. Again, I don't think you not participating can block my individual blessing. My tithe is going to unlock my blessing. My offerings are going to be multiplied. It's going to unlock, my, just like my prayer does, just like my serve does. You can't block my individual. But I do believe when we're not all in participation together corporately, we block or forfeit. Not block's probably too strong. We forfeit a corporate blessing. I believe the kind of blessing God wants to pour out when he says you don't have room enough to receive it, I, the, we, we don't even know what that looks like. I don't think anybody has the ability to articulate what that looks like. And the whole thing is built on will you and I, will we trust God or not? What if everyone who called themselves Christians operated in the principle of tithe and offering? 100% of the people. Now, thank God that we're much higher than this, but they say, studies have been done, that only 13% of followers of Jesus actually do what, is, what we know as biblical tithing. What if the other 87%, and that's not just this, I'm just saying as a whole, what, could, what would we unlock if we all participated you say, how in the world can they take a family and stone them in that Joshua 7 story? Achan, 42 generations led to this moment. And God was saying, I'm not going to let any one person block what I want to pour out. I'm not going to let anybody mess with the blessing. But, some, but one man was greedy enough to take that which God said, don't touch. One man. I want to see this blessing on a corporate level. In the book of Acts, you, some of you need a New Testament reference. The book of Acts, the early church experienced what I'm preaching. They experienced a blessing they didn't have room enough to receive. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that they, you could not even find one need in the entire church. It says no one had a need. Now, that may not do it for you, but let's explain what that means. It means if I were to start on my left on the front row and pass the mic around and allow everyone and ask every person, do you have anything you need? And everybody here, every one of you said, 
Pastor, I don't need anything. I can't think of one thing that I need. Are you good? I'm good, Pastor. I'm, I'm doing real good. I don't have need of anything. Next person. Pastor, I'm good. God's been so good. You know, you ask them, next person, do you need a car or anything? No, I don't need a car. I got three. Do you need one? See the kind of faith it takes to get to what I'm talking about? It says they had no need. There was not a need found. I wonder what we could do Bethesda Church if we unlocked a corporate blessing. And I'm not just talking about what it would do for Bethesda Church. I'm talking about what could we accomplish in our region if we unlocked the kind of blessing we don't have room enough to receive that started spilling out into our community. And so, listen, we can't be in need all the time if we're going to meet needs. If we're going to meet the needs, I wonder if we, if we couldn't just build schools and gyms and playgrounds and everything our community needs to meet the needs of our community. I wonder if we could take care of sick people. I wonder if we could meet the needs if we unlocked the corporate blessing. I'm going to tell you right now, 9 o'clock received this better than you did. They were on their feet at this point. Because I'm telling you, this is a revelation that we got to get. That if we can all do it, and it's not just giving, guys. If we all served, if you're too busy to serve, you got issues. But if we got 100% participation of not only tithe and offering, what if all 100% of us were praying daily? What if all 100% of us was bought in and we believed enough in our mission that not only are we going to fund it, we're going to serve it? You got to understand, I don't want to be a pastor of just a cute church. I want to make impact. I want to make impact. I want to see the sick healed. I want to see the hungry fed. We can't go through a week here without just meeting the needs of the people who attend here. I'm saying I want a corporate blessing release that there are no needs among us. And we can meet the needs of our community, of our state, of our world. That's what I'm trying to preach us to. So we can see beyond ourselves and our little lives, our little boxed-in lives, and can see... The blessing that was on Abraham has been promised to us and that blessing is that you are blessed to be a blessing. Are you ready to walk in at Bethesda Church? If you're ready to do it, stand up and give God the best praise you have so far. Come on, give Him a praise today. Come on, slap somebody high five and tell them the series is over. Now, give him a high five back and say, let's do this together. Let's do it together. I sense an anointing in this place. It's really cool what God's been doing. And it's not just from a financial standpoint. We're seeing sick bodies healed. We got a testimony last week of a lady who had cancer and God healed her. They ran scans. Cancer's gone. God healed her. I mean, they just flat out healed her. And...
fill the Holy Spirit. God wants to unlock a corporate blessing on this house. I'm just going to go ahead and prophesy it. He's not only going to unlock a corporate blessing on this house financially, but there's a corporate blessing coming on this house where the sick will be healed. And I'm I'm not talking about one every 100 people you pray for. I'm talking about an anointing where sick people are healed. It has been prophesied for years that people would drive from the north, south, east, and west to come into the presence of God in this church to receive their physical and emotional healing. If you believe that, give God a praise today. I'm telling you, God wants to do something significant with our church right here in West Virginia. I'm tired of people saying you got to go to another state to experience a move of God. And you got to go to Alabama. You got to go to Florida. You got to go to California. You got to go to Georgia. I'm saying God can wreck West Virginia. There can be a revival poured out on our state that, that is unprecedented, unlike anything we've ever seen before. And why not here and why not now? Let's do it together. Bow your heads all over this place. Close your eyes. No one looking around for a couple of moments. I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to, I'm going to pray for those that are here that are lost. But I, I just I feel like I'm supposed to pray this blessing over you. Father, I just ask you now in the name of Jesus that your word would be confirmed and sealed by the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that you would give us eyes to see, a heart to understand. God, the things that you want to open up, God, not not to just us as individuals. God, we know that's part of it. But God, help us to see a corporate blessing that is poured out on this house that will will change generations to come. God, I, I pray that it be released over this house and that there would be resources to do what you have called us to do, God. Lord, give us the wisdom to steward that which you entrust us in this season, God and to do it in a way that honors you, in a way that has maximum impact, in a way, God, that lives are changed. And God, we just prophesy in this moment, God, that not only is increase coming to this house, but increase is coming to every house that's attached to this house. And we declare it, we decree it. God, it will be established in your name, we pray it, in the name of Jesus. And as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to ask you, If you're in this place and you're not right with the Lord, you need to make some things right with Jesus. You know that you're not right. There's sin. You need to be forgiven. You need your relationship with God intact before you leave today. You say, Pastor, that's me. I want to make things right with God today. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are? Thank you for that hand back there. God bless you. Anyone else, you'd say, "That, that is me. Another one here. God bless you. Awesome. Awesome. Another one back there. God bless you. I see that hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? I see that hand. God bless you. Anyone else before we pray? Thank you for that hand back there. I see that, sir. God bless you. God bless you. So good. Church, let's pray. This is, this is, this is like a homecoming moment. Man, this is a celebration moment. Let's pray together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me for all my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you 
for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give them a big God bless you. So good. So good. Prayer team and staff, if you would go ahead and get in place, and I'm going to give some instructions while you're getting in place. These altars are about to be open for prayer. Don't, don't miss the moment for that. But if you made a decision to follow Jesus today, there are connect cards in the seat back in front of you. If you take a minute, fill that out. Let us know you've committed your life to Christ. There is some balloon arches in the back left of this room, my left, your right. Um, that's where we want people, if you've made that commitment to Christ, we want you to go there. Even if you don't fill a card out, go there. We want to put a gift in your hand. We want to we find out who you are. We want to help you take your next step. So take advantage of that. Don't leave here without connecting with us. Listen, you can't serve God all by yourself. You're going to need some help along the way. I'm a pastor, and I need help a lot of the time along the way. And I'm not talking about just help from God. I, I, there are times I need help from people. And we want to be that help for you. We want to help provide that next step for you. The worship team is going to come right now, and they're going to lead us in one more song. Before, as they come, will you give Jesus a praise for all those that just gave their life to Jesus? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.